This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1STPresAlbany.org. So I'm here with Will Runyon today talking about life as a hospital chaplain in the age of coronavirus. How you doing, Will? Doing good, J.D. Thank you for having me again. Again, yeah. Again, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, Little story. We unsuccessfully attempted to do this about a week ago and uh, outside when the first moratorium on public gathering had happened. And so our Starbucks plan didn't work out quite as we thought it would and ended up being outside and we fought the elements and the elements won. So now we're redoing basically our <laughs> podcast. Uh, so we appreciate you guys for listening in and um, – Will's an extremely interesting guy. He's got a um, incredibly difficult You're job. So right kind, now. Uh, but he's he's also got an incredible story too. So, so Will, uh, let's just kind of just dive right into that if that's sure. okay. So, um, where one has to be called to be any kind of ordained minister? What do you remember your call? And do you remember that moment where you realized that you were going to be in the ministry? So. I didn't really have a call experience like you would expect some people like, like the Apostle Paul had the Damascus Road experience, right, where he was blinded and the Holy Spirit led him to change his life. And he became Paul from Saul and stopped persecuting Christians. I didn't have that kind of experience uh, myself. It was more of a kind of a lifelong journey. Uh, I had a great aunt Sally who... Um, she was 99 and she died when I was I don't know, seven or eight, nine years old. But she always said, I know you're going to be a, a preacher or a minister or, or something like that, but I never felt a call to church ministry, you know, to, to the pastorates per se. But uh, my mom was a nurse, four of my aunts were nurses, uh, had some heart condition stuff going on when I was little. So I, I, I spent a lot of time in the hospital, in the clinical setting. So that kind of made sense to me, and that's where. I was comfortable. Um, you um, you talked about your heart condition a little bit. So yeah. you were you were in hospitals yeah. for a good while while you were a child. Yeah, I mean, from time to time. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't you know. I had a normal childhood. I was able to play sports and do all those things. But I would have moments where my heart rhythm would go 200, 300 beats a minute because of this condition. Um, so I would have to take time out. Sometimes I would end up in the emergency room so they could help me convert my heart rhythm back into normal. Uh, in your experience, when you when you would be in hospitals, though, were you was it positive? I mean, what, as much yeah, as it I mean, could it was, be. Uh, there were times when uh, you know it was scary. When I was little, I mean, my mom was always there in the building, but. Uh, my dad would be there with me, but he, if he had to go to work, I remember one time in specific that you know, he was going to work. I was hooked up to the IVs, uh, and he left, and I freaked out, like lost my stuff, screaming, crying, trying to unplug the IV poles so I could run down the hall. And he finally came back in and said, it's going to be okay. Just, you know, just calm down a little bit. Um, and it's just that moment of separation and isolation really, really hit me. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the most stark memories I have of being in the hospital other than the time I almost died, of course, um, flying to Duke university and having surgery and that, that, that kind of thing. But that, 
that emotional part of being alone in a hospital room as a little kid really left an impression on me that time. Well, that's, a, that's ironic. Um, and it's funny doing this the second time, right? like you yeah. hear things that you didn't hear the first time. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Albany is uh, right at the epicenter of the COVID-19 crisis uh, in Georgia and uh, frankly in the world. Per capita, we have uh, among the highest number of deaths uh, from the disease uh, in the world. And uh, we continue to struggle with it. It seems like uh, that zenith day that they keep pointing out, like I think April 22nd is supposed to be this, the, the peak uh, can't come fast enough yeah. for everyone here, but uh, will you find yourself kind of thrust right in the middle of that? And ironically, part of the major service that you serve is the end of life moments right. where families in this particular instance can't be with their loved ones. Yeah. And so you're, you're providing that you're helping alleviate that isolation or at least to the extent that you can that isolation that the patients are feeling much like when you were a child and you felt yeah. that same isolation. And, and you, you say it was ironic and it is because I didn't come in today, this morning with that story of mind. It just kind of struck me in the moment and, it, and you're right. It, it's, it's, you know, nobody wants, I don't think anybody wants to die alone. Um, that to me is probably the most scary thought uh, that we could have. Even Jesus, I mean, we just, wrapped up our uh, Palm Sunday service and that moment in the garden when he's talking about, you know, please stay awake with me. Don't, don't leave me alone in this moment. Um, I think from my time as a hospice chaplain, it seems that, you know, death is, is one of those journeys that you can, you can only take by yourself, even with people beside you. Um, but just having that physical presence with somebody else that's going through that process I want to. I want to believe it makes a difference. I want to believe that, um, you know, not leaving that person alone in the moment is is what my calling is right now in this time in this place. Wow. Uh, I can't imagine the toll that that takes on you. I mean, I, I can empathize with the patient, and in fact, I had a bit of anxiety last night as I was I was walking. My son had just gone to bed, and. Um, trying to get a little exercise in and I'm walking and I'm just, it, it hit me what you were doing, what you've been doing. And I think one fundamental fear that I'd say most people have is, is being alone at the time mm -hmm. it, it ends. And, um, and that's now, the sinister thing I think about this one, this disease is they can't, you yeah. can't be surrounded by your loved ones. And, and even beyond that, the families of these patients, they're, they don't want their person to be alone either. So that's, that's a fear that they hold because they can't be there. They're, they're not allowed in the hospital building right now unless, you know, it's very, very certain circumstances. And it puts them at risk to be there. So that's why we have been looking for ways to kind of bridge that isolation gap and let them visit without being present. Um, and, you know, in today's world, I mean, we've got every bit of technology that we need to be able to make that happen. So that's, uh, that's what we that's what we did. Um, the CEO approached me a couple weeks ago and said, "Hey, let's you know we've been talking about this, and I brought the subject up before." And he said, "We've got some iPads and IT. Let's get those and see what we can make happen." And uh, just right off the bat, that's you know the last three or four days of this past week. That's all I did was 
call families, set up these meetings. Uh, one that struck me the most was that we had a lady that was, you know, had made herself a DNR, do not resuscitate. She didn't want to be intubated. She was like 93 years old. Uh, but her family was spread all over Texas and Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia. So we got like 15 or 20 people on go-to meeting and made this visit happen. And they were singing and praying and it was just incredible. Uh, just holding the iPad in front of her while she was able to talk to her, her people uh, was, it was pretty powerful. Something I'll never forget. Was it a blessing? Did you pull a oh, absolutely. blessing out of that? Yeah, it was, it, I was blessed by that. Uh, absolutely. Every time that I, I'm able to do that. I, I, I get a blessing from it. The, um, <clears throat> I just, I'm sitting here listening to you and, and I can't help it, but just kind of get sucked into that, that whole narrative and, and think about what I would do in that situation. And, you know, what I thought about last night when I was walking um, was the closest thing I, I think our generation can even imagine to this is uh, that moment in our, the movie Armageddon, yeah. you know, when when Steven Tyler, not Steven, uh, his daughter, um, Liv Tyler, is talking to Bruce Willis's character, and and she's got to say goodbye over the over the the screen there, and it's like one of the most heart wrenching moments in cinema, and for our generation, and here you are living it out every day. Hmm. I mean, it's um, yeah. It's t- how are you taking care of yourself? So that's the challenge, right? I mean, we. <laughs> We're in a new situation that nobody's really. We didn't talk about this in seminary, as they say. Um, one of the things I've had to do is limit, you know, limit my hours. First couple of weeks, this all started. I mean, we were all working 12, 15, 16, 18 hour days, just back to back to back to back to back, nonstop. And I think we all got to like day 14 or 15 in that range, 14, 15, 16 days when we felt like we were going to literally drop. So, you know, the, the folks at the hospital have been awesome about saying, you know, you've, you've got to take time away and you have to literally not pick up your phone, not talk about stuff going on at the hospital, try not to think about it. Although it's always there, but the challenge there is, is to separate yourself so you can keep doing that when you are there. Uh, my boss says you can't uh, perform at your best if you're not, taking care of yourself too so it's kind of that image when you're on an airplane that you know they tell you to take a breath of oxygen if you've got a kid with you first so you can take care of somebody else and you do have to that that idea of self-care um can be tough when you see all of the things that you're seeing yeah happening around you around you um how have you seen god working in your day-to-day life in the last couple of weeks Kind of my personal belief is that, you know, God never leaves us alone in our moments, that he's, he's always present, or she. Um, I, I meet God through the people I'm, I'm with. Um, that's, that's how I see God. So just being in the same space and seeing the nurses and doctors do the things they do day in and day out, day after day, I, I feel like I've got the easy job <laughs> because I, I put on all the equipment for 30, 45 minutes at a time, and then I can go back down to my office and, you know, do what I need to do to get ready for the next one. But they're in that situation, in that environment, tw- you know, 12 hours a day, every day of the week. Um, 
it, yeah, I, it's, it's pretty overwhelming to think about what they go through um, and the fear you have, even having all the equipment. You know, what if what if I bring this disease home? What if I catch it? What you know? It's just something we just, we've just never experienced before. Um, I mean, the closest thing that we've gotten history is 1918, the Spanish flu outbreak. You know, um, and that lasted a year and a half. Um, not to get into those scary details, but we're in a new situation that none of us have ever experienced before. And we've got stories from our grandparents, but that's it. Right. Well, and, and you know, you're hearing, though, um, I think people are looking for hope, right? Yeah. And they're looking for some positivity amid all of this because we keep hearing and just battered over the head with the negative statistics every day about how many more deaths we've had, yeah. how many more positive cases we've had. Um, but you've also gotten to see some people recover. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, we've and exit the hospital. Can you give us an example? Sure. Or? So, you know, the statistic, um, that we've all heard is once you get on a ventilator, the mortality rates like 95%. So it's, it's, you know, people know that. I mean, we, people and the doctors tell the, the patients and families, Hey, you know, our goal is to keep you off the ventilator because that's, that's a, a bad thing. Uh, it's a bad outcome most of the time, but we have had, you know, a handful of folks now that have, have gotten off the ventilator and, and actually discharged home. And, um, you know, our hospital has been really cool about how transparent we are with everything. Uh, so we've, we've gotten to cheer patients out of the building as they're being discharged that have kind of overcome this. And it's, it's good for that patient. It's good for that family, but it's also good for us because we have to, we have to hold on to those special moments too because for every one of those patients that that recovers that are that sick you know there's a lot more that don't um and that's just the hard reality of of this whole situation is that when somebody gets that sick that they're on a ventilator most of the time they don't survive it um so we have to we really do have to hold on to those bright moments well and and we're hearing story after story of people who are just doing some really miraculous things, I would say. Like, uh, and that to me is where I see God in, in all of this. Is that, um, if anything, as as God the sustainer, yeah. you know that that uh, in the midst of this, if we if we use the war analogy, I mean, literally in the trenches, uh, fighting alongside. Um, yeah, and we've got national guardsmen and women at the hospital in uniform, so it's. <laughs> It's surreal, right? Yeah, it is. It is very surreal. I mean, I, I wake up every day thinking maybe this isn't real because we've all seen the movies and we've all seen those scenarios play out in Hollywood, but now we're living it like day in and day out. And it's just, it's it's emotionally overwhelming. It's spiritually overwhelming. It's physically overwhelming. It's, yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff. But you, know, you, you mentioned the um, the things that come out of our situation just this morning, I got a, a message from a nurse that I work with that she's known somebody that's donating 20 Kindles to us so we can continue having these opportunities to help patients see their, their loved ones. And that, you know, that's just, that kind of stuff is what makes you believe humanity might be okay through, through all this. <laughs> well, it's like what Fred Rogers said. You yeah, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. You know? yeah. um, and I think, 
thank you to whomever donated yeah. those Kindles. Um, they're going to be uh, put to good use. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks to everybody else who, who is supporting things too. Um, I know from, I work for the local school system here. One of our schools, you know, just dropped off hand sanitizer um, yeah. to the hospital that, uh, you know, teachers accumulate hand sanitizer at the beginning <laughs> of the school year. And so now since our buildings are closed, we don't have much use for it. So we're giving it back to Phoebe. Well, and the fact that um, teachers are able to still have, have class virtually and, you know, the local brewery in town is making hand sanitizer because they've got the equipment to be able to do that. And they're just doing that out of their goodness of their hearts. I mean, it's a lot of things are happening that, that are really cool. Uh, well, and I, I saw uh, not to quote Facebook, Lord of mercy, theology of Facebook. <laughs> oh uh, gosh. Let's not go down that road. But, um, but there was, there was something I saw in there that was, that moved me. And it was like, uh, you know, sometimes we pray for opportunities to be closer with our families. Yeah. And sometimes we pray for opportunities to, uh, have relief from work, you know, and sometimes we have, we pray for opportunities for, um, refocusing with God and our relationship with God. And we never know quite what those circumstances are going to look like when those prayers are answered or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some ways, people are, are with this self-distancing um, stuff that we're doing and social isolation, um, I find that I'm, I'm bonding better than I ever have with my son. Yeah. Um, I'm doing daddy daycare at home. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, at first I was a little apprehensive, if I'm honest. Uh, like a uh, four-year-old and me all day long every day yeah yeah i sympathize um, with my wife what she's going through right now too she's she's got the kids at home and oh crap and then they're doing uh school and and all those things so yeah it's it's uh daddy daycare sponsored by pfizer uh, you know, <laughs> but the um the reality is is that we've been able to kind of bond i think in a way that we wouldn't have if we didn't have the situation so i, I think there are going to be some bright spots it's just trying to find them and, and stay, stay close to God. Cause God is the bright spot. Right. right? And right. so if we, if we stay close to him, then, we'll, then I think we'll, we'll be able to find our way through it. Um, what kind of things are you able to, uh, or what are you having to tell families? Um, I, I can't imagine how, how one explains, tries to explain a situation or provide yeah. some level of comfort. So, Yeah. <laughs> You know, those are the hardest conversations to have with people, um, especially not face-to-face. But what's, what also has allowed us to, to do things with the iPads and technology is let, let the doctors and nurse practitioners have that face-to-face moment with families, explain, you know, hey, your, your loved one is not doing well. Um, they're not getting oxygen because of this disease. But they don't, you know, it depends. We try to honor what that patient wants to. Uh, so the situation with this one patient, you know, she was able to tell us uh, what she wants and what she didn't want um, as far as you know, advanced treatment and innovation and DNR status and everything. And so get all the family on the, on the, on the iPad and um, we're kind of talking through all that and sitting in with the patient and she's alert, you know, struggling to breathe, but able to still converse with us and, uh, her granddaughter he said, you know, we, we really need you. Please, please, will you get on the ventilator? Please let him do that. And, uh, 
having to explain that, you know, we have to, one, also honor your grandmother's wishes. She doesn't want that. But secondly, trying to explain even if we did intubate and use a ventilator, it wouldn't work. Um, because, you know, Hollywood has told us, hey, you're gonna be, you can recover from these things magically. Um, but we, we've, we know enough about this disease process that once somebody gets to that point, even forcing air into their lungs isn't working. It's just not. Um, and it didn't for her. I mean, she didn't get, you know, innovated because she didn't want to be. And uh, once they started kind of helping her manage some of her symptoms, we call palliative care, symptom control, and uh, she died within, you know, an hour. Um, but, you know, those are the, the hardest moments, I think, when you've got family pleading, uh, please do this, we need you to get better, you know, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Because the doctors and nurses are, are trained to do everything. Um, Let's ask you kind of a tough question here. Um, with all you've seen and all you've done in the last several weeks, has your relationship gotten stronger in the faith? Or are you finding it to be more of a trial? Because I think a normal person would say, start to question a little bit. You know, God, why is this happening? And, and these are these are good people. Some some are. While we talked about you talked about the ninety three year old, there have been some people who are forty, right, and twenty and thirty yeah, that we've not know. been able to, to save either. That's a great question. Um, you know, I grew up in a really conservative Southern Baptist town in Eastern Kentucky, and that was kind of the prevailing theology. You know, you don't question God, you don't show anger towards God, you don't question why. But that never made sense to me, and I think that probably plays into you know, the, the struggles that I had as a kid health wise. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a couple of pastors in my life early on that, that didn't tell me, Hey, you can't, you can't be mad at God. You can't, you can't doubt. You can't have those things because we all do. We're human and God put us together this way. Right. I mean, he put us together to have these emotions for a reason. Um, it's one thing that just developed in me was that, comfort and questioning um, why this or why that why is this happening I mean we may not get an answer but you know I, I I had some good professors in college and seminary too that that said you know faith and doubt aren't mutually exclusive to faith they're they're two sides of the same coin you can't deepen and grow in your faith without testing your faith and, and doubting and stretching and all those growing pains that we talk about going through. So I, you know, I feel bad for folks that aren't comfortable doing that because they're missing out a lot. Um, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that I've just, it never made sense to me why we couldn't say, well, why is this happening? Because, you know, we all ask the question anyway. <laughs> um, and my personal theology that is that God's going through this with us. Um, and we could get, we can go down the rabbit hole of, you know, whether God created this to happen or allowed this to happen. But, um, the fact is it is, it's happening. Uh, so we can, we can choose to believe that it's okay to ask why, and we might not ever get a answer, but 
God understands. That's a tough one, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you. Like even you look at the the, the Bible and the Psalms. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lamentations all throughout the Psalms where you know people are just raising their hands to God. Yeah. Like, why? Why is this happening? You know, why? Why did this? Thing occur or what why is this happening to me and, and and god and we as we heard today in our palm sunday palm sunday service easy for me to say <laughs> um jesus on the cross father father why have you forsaken me yeah um you know it's it's natural i think and uh faith is a mystery right mm-hmm. i mean at, at the end of the day it's 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 more unnatural i think to believe in something that you you have no evidence of right um, and that's that's why i stri- shy away from getting into the apologetics and i know that's a popular topic um we have to defend our faith but how do you defend a mystery that you don't understand anyway <laughs> yeah. it's tough it's tough um so how's your family uh dealing with all of this and, and you being away and, uh, and working so closely with people who are sick so yeah my my, my mom is you know I'm still an eight-year-old little kid in her eyes, and she's worried. But she was a nurse. Uh, my aunts all were nurses, and they worry. And I just really try to instill in them, you know, I'm taking all the precautions that I'm supposed to be, and I'm not going to put myself in, you know, in danger beyond reason. Uh, I'm not going to walk into a room without a mask and respirator and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you mentioned calling, just like these nurses and doctors are called to do what they do, I'm called to do what I do. Um, and I, I, I couldn't sleep at night not doing what I do. So, Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I'm, I'm feeling it from the family side. Um, for those of you who don't know, my wife works at the same hospital, uh, but in a non-clinical role, she helps recruit nurses. And yeah. um, you know, we've had discussions about the, her, where her office is is where the National Guard is basically commandeering yeah. <laughs> um, a yep. new um, hospital unit for COVID patients, and so um, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want the vision of Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, them landing in the helicopter and taking over <laughs> yeah, town. And we've we've very, asked for their help. You know, it's a very it's a very complimentary relationship. <laughs> and, uh, They're and not rolling in with Humvees and putting up barbed wire around the hospital. Yes, so. yes, this is an outbreak. Um, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman has not arrived yet. But what, what we what we do have is a mutualistic uh, relationship where where yeah. they have been an incredible help. Yes, they have um, to to just support support and um, and provide their services. Uh, we have some of the best medical people uh, in our state working mm-hmm. alongside of our, of our doctors and, and who are already amazing to begin with. But um, I feel it from the, well, I was getting to is the family side. I've, I, I, we had a heated discussion in my household about whether or not my wife should be working from home because she can, right. she has the ability to do that. But her response to me was that, well, if, if I'm not seen every day, what message does that, send to my coworkers and my colleagues. Those yeah. nurses are seen every day in the clinical side, in the ECs and on the COVID floors, mm-hmm. doing what they do. Um, you know, I, I need to be seen doing what I'm doing too. It sends a message and, and the optics are there, you know. And I, I think but, it's also evident enough to say, we're all gonna be exposed to this at some point, just casually in, in the community. That's why we're sitting here wearing masks at, at the church 
that's why we wear masks at the grocery store. That's you know that's why we're trying to keep social distance because it's out there. You can't avoid it, uh, but you can protect yourself. So, you know, be smart about it. Uh, and so that this is the part, the obligatory part of the podcast, where I say, um, dear people, please socially isolate yourselves. <laughs> yes, please. Um, public gatherings, um, events. We know it's frustrating. I, I've lost uh, three people that were pretty close to me, and um, had un. I can't go to their funerals. I can't. Mm-hmm. There's no visitation. I get it. it's frustrating. Um, you feel the cabin fever, but the only way we'll get through this is to take the fuel away from the fire, and yeah. the fuel in this instance is us. So, you know, and the um, beauty and the curse of social media is that you can you can get your message out to a wide audience. Um, so Friday, I sent out an email to we've got a list of about 500 ministers in the region, and kind of said the same thing and implored them, hey. I know the news is saying, especially in Florida, where they're talking about how churches are exempt from the uh, shelter-in-place order and gatherings and such. But, you know, if I'm a pastor, if I'm a Christian, my duty to the people that I'm around is to keep them safe because God gave me a brain to use. Um, you know, there were plagues in the Bible. They didn't understand them like we understand these today because we have things like technology and microscopes and antibiotics and all the stuff that God has given us the knowledge to be able to develop and use. So please don't go to church in the traditional sense. I mean, there's there's way too much technology to be uh, used to put yourself, put your, put your parishioners at risk. And I, I told them in that email that, you know, I'm happy to talk to you face, you know, not face to face, but personally, um, if you've got questions about that, but the, the simple fact is, if you continue to have your services traditionally, you're going to kill people. You're going to be responsible for that. That will be on you because you didn't follow these guidelines. That's the simple fact of the matter. Uh, I mean, that's how the outbreak started here in Albany, right? Had two uh, funerals uh, that, that spread that nobody knew was sick. But then people continued to have church services after that when they were told, hey, let's Let's, let's stop this for a little bit. Let's get ahead of it. But, you know, uh, I People, think sometimes we, we fall into that trap of, well, God's going to protect me. Well, God gave you a brain to use um, also. So please use it. So, folks, we've been talking to Will Brunyon, the um, hospital chaplain at uh, Phoebe Putnam Memorial Hospital, but also a member here at First Pres Albany um, who uh, – has an incredible, just incredible story, incredible job, incredible life. I mean, you've, you've got some beautiful kids at home that um, I don't know how you manage three. I'm struggling managing one, and so bless you and Mary. Well, I'm not home right now, so that's so, how I manage it. <laughs> I haven't seen them in three weeks. Yes, so, um, but seriously, thank you for what you're doing. Um, you're providing an invaluable service to people. Um, in my in my final moments, I would want someone to help me communicate with my family. Yeah, well, God and bless you if you have to see me in those moments. So, yeah, but but I would I would rather see you than not though, too. You know, <laughs> and and there's a um, there's a famous poem from um, Louis Florence Nightingale about nursing, and mm-hmm. talks about how you know there's someone there to hold the hand when it's necessary, and 
Sometimes people just need yeah. to know other people are there. And I, I do want to make it clear that our nurses have been doing this for sure. weeks. Sure. You know, they're they're the ones that really kind of made this idea possible because they were using their personal phones and going in and having those moments with these patients long before I, I started doing that too. So it's, it's, it's an amazing team effort that's happening yeah. down there uh, right now. Um, but um, thank you, Will, for taking some time to come in to sit uh, probably eight feet away from me yeah. and wearing it's masks a uh, inside a hundred year old church. <laughs> um, but just out of caution, we want to do our part too. Uh, so seriously, folks, you know, stay at home, enjoy your families, stay away from folks. Um, there's Instacart and Amazon Walmart delivery and, and Amazon. <laughs> there's no need for you to go out and do yeah. do anything. Support your local your businesses. A lot of them are doing deliveries now, mm-hmm. um, but have them deliver. Have them drop it off at the door. I, I freaked out. I had a freak out moment yesterday. I ordered some groceries from um, a grocery store and they delivered them. And this super nice lady, I said, you know. Um, just, just put them on the driveway back there, and I'll, I'll come by and pick them up. <laughs> and she put down one thing, and I, I took one load in, and came back out, and it was only, it was only like two bags left. And she, she handed me, like she, she reached out to hand them to me, and it was just instinctive. I mean, yeah, yeah I just couldn't help it. I just grabbed the bag, right? Well, in that moment, <laughs> I brushed against her hand, and and it's gonna be okay. About <laughs> ten minutes later, it struck me that I had touched this person, and I went into full freak out mode. I mean, yeah, like I was hand, I was bathing in hand sanitizer. It was. It you was you talk about that, and our our basic instinct anytime something tragic or bad or, or difficult is happening is to embrace each other, and you know that's 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 been one of the most difficult parts of all this is we can't do that. Yeah. You know. Although I do have a sh- uh, shirt from the um, that I ordered as a fundraiser from the Bobby Bone Show that <laughs> says "Hug a Hater." Hug a Hater. And so right now I'm just thinking I could be a biological face. warfare. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah, if I get sick, where, I'm just gonna go find the people yeah. I don't like a whole lot. And you just can get kidding. charged with the misdemeanor yes, for doing that. And now, actually, so there have been people who have been charged. Uh, yes. So don't, don't do that. But uh, thank you, Will, for coming in. Thank you for taking some time. And thank you for what you're doing. This is Christianity in Action, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Albany, Georgia. For more info, visit 1stprezalbany.org.